The local doshas, deranged and aggravated by such causes as diving in water immediately after an exposure to the heat and glare of the sun, constant gazing at distant objects, sleep in the daytime and keeping up late hours in the night, fixed and steady gaze, excessive weeping or overindulgence in grief, worry and fatigue, a blow or a hurt, sexual excess, the partaking in inordinate quantities of sukta, aranala, acid gruel, mashapulse, and pulse, voluntary repression of any call of nature, exposure of the eyes to smoke or dust, trickling down the drops of sweat into the eyes, excessive or impeded vomiting, repression of tears, constant contradiction of the eyes to adjust to extremely small objects, etc. Beget disorders of the organs of vision. Hey there, this is Ghost in Your Blood, the podcast where I talk about the accidental scientific findings of folklore and superstition. I just want to thank everybody that listened to episode one and came back for episode two. I'm so grateful for you all. And big shout out to my friend that let me know that I forgot to introduce myself in the first episode. My name is Samantha. I am not a scientist. This is just a hobby and things that I find very interesting. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking about balancing doshas, and if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. I didn't either, and I really had to read up on it, but what this particular example of dosha balancing medicine has given us is super interesting, and I'm going to give you a fair warning now that I'm going to be getting into some pretty graphic descriptions of some ancient eye surgery. And it is fairly horrible. So very excited to get into that. But if you are a little bit squeamish, this might not be your favorite episode. Sorry about that. And I would also like to say that I tried my absolute hardest to pronounce things as clearly and as properly as possible. However, I did have quite a lot of difficulties with some of the words. Everything is based in India. It's a language that is very foreign to me, so I did try. I looked up the pronunciations for as many things as I felt I needed to, but feel free to judge me for my terrible pronunciations of certain things. All right, I'm going to dive into what doshas are, and this is a theory that the body is composed of three main substances, being vata, pitta, and kapha. I'll break down each one individually, however, kapha is the one that we are going to speak the most in depth about. So vata is characterized by dryness, cold, light, and movement. One of the main indicators that this dosha is unbalanced is pain. Some of the diseases connected with an unbalanced vata are flatulence, gout, and rheumatism. Doshas also each come with an elemental alignment, and vata is aligned with air and ether. Next up, we have pitta, which is characterized by heat, moistness, liquidity, sharpness, and sourness. The unbalanced pitta is primarily characterized by body heat or a burning sensation and redness. It also has the elemental alignment of fire, surprise, and water. 
And last, certainly not least, is what we're focusing on today is kapha. Kapha is characterized by heaviness, coldness, tenderness, softness, slowness, and lubrication. This is also the carrier of nutrients in the body. All soft organs are said to be made of kapha. The elemental alignment for kapha is earth and water. One of the reasons that I bring up the elements that each dosha is aligned with is because some of the treatments for deranged dosha is balancing those elements in the body, which will come up later in the treatments that I'm going to be talking about today. So doshas have been around for quite a long time. One of the first written records of Ayurvedic medicine, which is well known for its use of dosha balancing treatments, was found in a Sanskrit epic called the Mahabharata in the 4th century BCE. Now, of course, I definitely have to go into the history of Ayurvedic medicine just a little bit. So in Ayurvedic medicine, it was said that knowledge was passed from the gods to sages and then on to human physicians. Now, in the beginning of this episode, I started with a quote, as I like to do. This was taken from Sushruta Samhita. This is a medical text that I have quite a few bits of information from for this particular episode. But in terms of how it plays into the history of Ayurvedic medicine, Sushruta himself, which is the physician's name, he wrote that Davantari, the Hindu god of Ayurveda, came to him and other human physicians incarnated as a king in order to teach medicine to a group of physicians. Now, on the off chance that anybody actually wants to read the Sushruta Samhita, it is fully available on rarebooksocietyofindia.org. And within this text, you can find a very large range of surgical procedures and ailments and treatments alike. One of my favorite parts of the text is the parts that describe what can actually cause ailments. And in dosha balancing, the general idea is that if a dosha is deranged or out of balance, that is what causes illness. So let's say you've been kicking it for about maybe like 40 to approximately 60 years, but maybe you cried a little too much or didn't cry enough or you stared into the sun or you went swimming when you shouldn't have gone swimming. And all of a sudden your eyes start to get a little bit cloudy and your vision's a little bit blurry. Of course, this has nothing to do with the fact that you are of the average age people start to develop cataracts. It has everything to do with the fact that your doshas are not balanced. So, of course, humans have been very aware of what cataracts are for a very long time. A little bit of etymology for cataracts in Latin, cataracta, meaning waterfall, and in Greek, cataractus, meaning downrushing. Both of these etymologies allude to the look of water when it's moving very quickly, when it has that white of having all of the air moving underneath of the, the surface of the water. Another theory is that humor balancing, which is a completely different topic, might also tie into how cataracts are dealt with. Now, cataracts in India, they were known to be an incurable ailment, and they were considered to need palliative care. Though the dosha could be balanced and the cloudiness removed from the eye, it was known that the vision was never fully restored and that after the procedures that people would undergo, that their vision would never be exactly how it was. Okay, now this is your warning. This is what I've been waiting for. It is the gross eye stuff, and I love this kind of stuff, but I know it's not for everybody. Now, I will say this isn't as horrendously gory as maybe it could have been. I did 
kind of cut out the really gross parts and left it a little bit softer. It's also not very long, but if you really feel the need to skip over it, you can just go right ahead about a minute and 15 seconds and you'll get right past it. The following is taken directly from Sushruta Samhita. It is the detailed description of how cataracts are treated. Just after puncturing, the expert should irrigate the eye with breast milk and foment it from outside with vata, or wind, alleviating tender leaves, irrespective of dosha being stable or mobile, holding the instrument properly in position. Then, the pupillary circle should be scraped with the tip of the instrument while the patient, closing the nostril of the side opposite to the punctured eye, should blow so that kapha, located in the region, be eliminated. When pupillary region becomes clear, like cloudless sun, and is painless, it should be considered as scraped properly. If dosha cannot be eliminated or it reappears, puncturing is repeated after unction and sedation. When the sights are seen properly, the probe should be removed slowly, eye anointed with ghee and bandaged. Then the patient should lie down in supine position in a peaceful chamber. He should avoid belching, coughing, sneezing, spitting, and shaking during the operation, and thereafter should observe the restrictions as after intake of oil. So if you can tell by me repressing some laughter during that quote, my favorite part is when they say not to laugh or shake or sneeze while you have the sharp objects in your eye. That is some very solid advice that I think you could use to this very day. Hands down, I endorse it. I didn't read the entirety of the procedure just because it is a very long quote. Um, it's almost a full chapter in itself. It goes into great detail, but the general idea of the procedure is that the eye is opened and the lens is scraped out. The purpose of that being to drain the excess kapha from the eye, which was believed to be the main cause of the cataract. And then to continue to balance the doshas, they are treated with wind-alleviating tender leaves, or vata leaves. Before I get too in-depth on the development of cataract surgery and how things went after this point, I want to talk a little bit about what a cataract actually is. So a cataract directly impacts the lens of your eye. The lens is located in the pupil, which is the black part of your eye, for those of you who are not aware. And for a cataract to develop, what happens is the proteins in your lens begin to break down. This is where you start to get that cloudiness. Now, externally to people, this looks like you have a bit of white or grayishness to your eye. However, for you, looking outwards, it can dim colors, it can cause things to look a little bit foggy or blurry. It is something that is very commonly developed in older people aged anywhere from 40 to 60 is approximately the average, which is what I had said earlier. Also, it's very common in dogs and other animals. This is not a strictly human ailment. And like I mentioned in my previous episode, my dog has cataracts. She just turned 15 on Valentine's Day, and she is precious. Now, what is very interesting about the dosha balancing approach to removing the cataract is that it did genuinely remove the cataract-affected lens. So this procedure that I've been talking about during this episode is actually called couching, and it is still used today. It is definitely much more common in underdeveloped countries. 
For example, Sub-Saharan Africa will often have this done by local healers as opposed to going to an ophthalmologist for it. It is also a massively unsuccessful procedure, especially when compared to what we have for modern cataract surgery. A very small minority of patients will experience some light and some vision again, but a very large percentage will actually become totally blind from it. There have also been other complications such as optic atrophy and glaucoma, so it really is not favorably compared to modern cataract procedures. So in terms of modern technology and how modern cataract surgeries are performed, what did couching sort of provide to us? Couching and complete removal of the cataract-affected lens was sort of just a precursor to modern cataract surgery. So while making an incision in the eye and actually removing the lens is still done today, it is not as common. It is much more common to have the lens broken up using an ultrasound probe. Of course, this still leaves us with the same problem that we had before, wherein the lens being removed, the vision is not fully restored. Now, of course, this is where technology steps in to save the day and eyesight for all. In an ultrasound-based procedure, the probe is inserted into the eye and the proteins are emulsified and then suctioned out of the eye in a very, very small incision. This actually leaves the original back end of the lens in place so that the new artificial lens can lean up against it. And very similarly in the incision and removal procedure, it is still just the front capsule of the lens that is removed, leaving the back end for that artificial lens to rest with. Now there are several types of lenses that can be inserted to help restore the vision. These are called intraocular lenses, which I'm going to regularly be shortening to IOL because I just don't wanna say intraocular lens repeatedly. There are a few different types. I'm just going to buzz through them real fast. We've got the monofocal IOL, which has just a singular focal point. And then there's multifocal implants, which are similar to glasses with like a bifocal. So you can focus on a few different things. And there is also astigmatism or toric IOLs. And that just helps with people that have an astigmatism, which is sort of like a football shaped cornea as opposed to a round cornea, which I have one of those. And there's the accommodating IOL, and it's flexible. It acts a little bit more like your natural lens. Now, the most recent research and development that I could find for intraocular lenses was that the FDA recently approved a type of intraocular lens called Acrosoft IQ Panoptics Trifocal Intraocular Lens. It's the first and only trifocal lens for U.S. patients undergoing cataract surgery, according to Ophthalmology Times, and this is from October 1st, 2019. There is also some new technology called intraoperative wavefront aberometry. This allows for the total refractive error in the eye lens that is left to be measured so that the new lens that is being implanted can actually be a lot closer to what is required to correct the vision. There is also the possible development of eye drops coming in to prevent or reverse cataracts without requiring surgery at all. So this is how balancing doshas and pulling the excess phlegm out of our eyes turned into a pretty standard procedure. This is currently considered a very minor procedure and it's outpatient done in like less than an hour and super common. There are approximately 10 million cataract operations performed each year in the world. I have a little bit of some stats from America, of course. 
About one in six Americans over the age of 40 have already started developing cataracts, and about 50% of Americans will have cataracts by the age 75. So it is quite comforting to know that it is a very common procedure to help correct something that is so common. But it's even more comforting to know that nobody's going to be poking around in your eye under no anesthetic and then putting breast milk on it. Now we get to do my favorite segment of this entire podcast, the part where I look into what the modern take on dosha balancing is. Now going ahead with a cool Pinterest search for dosha balancing. I'm finding a lot of things that have to do with both mental and physical health. There are also some references to a dosha personality type. And it kind of looks like there are specific things you can do to feed your dosha, like it was a chia pet. For example, to feed your kapha, you have your meals at 8 a.m., 1 p.m., 4 p.m., 6 p.m., sleep early, wake up early, exercise, avoid oily foods, dairy, and rinks. Like hockey rinks? Maybe hockey rinks. Hockey's bad for kapha. So that seems a little high maintenance, maybe a little too high maintenance to consider it a chia pet. Maybe it's more like a tamagotchi. And just like in ancient Ayurvedic texts, there's a list of things that are caused by unbalanced doshas, like congestion, obesity, allergies, fevers, acid reflux, pneumonia, hyperactivity. There is also a range of emotions that can show an unbalanced dosha, such as greed, envy, anger, hate, jealousy, fear, anxiety. And I can't really say that any of this is horribly bad advice. It seems like very basic, like positivity, good vibes, treat your body well, take care of your stupid Tamagotchi brain. And that is the summarized version of how dosha balancing led us into the modern world of cataract procedures. And of course, I just want to thank you again for listening to this episode. And if you would like to continue keeping up with new episodes, feel free to follow me on either Instagram or Twitter at Pod.